Good morning. Good to see everyone. Uh, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 14. I don't ever, I don't ever like formal, uh, formally title my sermons, but if I, though this may be lost on the younger generation, if I were to title this one, I would title it, I Pity the Fool. Um, I can't help but to think about that every time I see the word fool in the Bible. Um, so if you're with me on that, then um, join me in pitying the fool today. <laughs> um, we're going to go ahead and jump right in. Let's go ahead and start as our, uh, we've been doing. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll read the psalm together. So Psalm 14, starting verse 1. Here we go. One, two, three. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the name of the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. And uh, I pray today that we would see the truth in your word. Uh, we would see the truth about ourselves and the severity of our uh, sin and what it means to be um, apart from you, uh, and what it means to be a fool, and what salvation truly brings us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, we often use the term fool uh, as someone to describe, you know, if you're being foolish, you're being stupid, you're making bad decisions. Uh, that's a pretty common uh, use of that word. Uh, I think growing up in the South, I don't, I don't know, it seems like it's a Southern thing to, um, to hear, y'all better, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've heard, y'all better stop all that foolishness. Um, maybe they say that in other parts of the country. It seems like a Southern thing to say, though. Um, but, you know, stop being dumb, stop doing stupid things. But when we talk about a fool in the Bible, uh, we're talking about more than just someone who is stupid, while that is part of it, uh, but we are talking about someone who is morally deficient, uh, someone who lacks uh, understanding about God and therefore is someone to be pitied. Um, and we see... The, the results here of what being a fool brings about in someone, and someone who is corrupt, who does abominable deeds, and who doesn't know good. And um, we see uh, in, in this passage here, it, it appears as though the psalmist, most likely David, because it says to the choir master of David in verse 1, um, he appears to be looking out and seeing the people around him. This was the, during the time of, 
Babylonian captivity for the Israelites. So he is most likely talking about the Babylonians because they oppress God's people. Uh, but he could also be talking about in that those Israelites who have turned from God, who have said that there is no God or at least that God is not enough and maybe have kind of conformed to the practices and customs of the Babylonians. So he's looking out. He's seeing the fools around him. Uh, when we look out, where do we see foolishness and fools? Who are the people that you tend to look at and say, there's a fool? Um, first, if we're going to abide by the word of God, we need to look at ourselves when we're talking about fools and who, who is foolish, because uh, it starts with us, and we'll see that later in the, in the text. Um, but it is, as, as a believer, as someone who has put their faith in Christ, who has received a new heart, who is born again, um, and knows right from wrong, knows truth from what is false, uh, we are allowed to look out into the world and say, that is foolish. Those people are fools. Uh, they have said there is no God. Any, anyone who says that, the Bible says, is a fool. So we can say that. We're allowed to do that. There seem to have been, uh, and I guess this has always been the case, uh, but I observe this kind of transition kind of started back in the early 2000s where I, I guess I started noticing it and I, I kind of fell right into it where in, in some ways it was good because there was a group of young, you know, on fire for Jesus Christians who were tired of the traditions that they grew up in and they were tired of the hypocrisy in their traditional churches and what they witnessed growing up. So there, there was this shift towards, you know, focus on our own sin because, you know, who, who am I to judge? I'm, 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 a, I'm a hypocrite. I, I'm, I am, as Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. So why, we can't cast judgment on others except for the, you know, the old people in the churches we grew up in. You can still be mad at them and be bitter. Um, um, but yeah, it's like, if we're going to love, we just want to love people, you know, we want to, we want to just spread the gospel, but to spread the gospel is to call people to repentance, is to tell people that they're fools and they need to confess their sin and repent and, and follow Christ. So you have on, on, on the one hand, those who are, are almost timid to, to call out other sin. And then you, on the other hand, you have those who only call out other people's sin and, and don't ever look at themselves. So like most issues and most things, we need to be right in the middle. Uh, we need to see our sin first, but it is okay to, if we're not seeing and exposing the sin of others, then how are we going to call people to repentance? So um, we go from a man's observation in verse 1 to uh, what God sees in verse 2 and 3. This is a description of when you know, God coming and looking down from heaven on the children of man to see if any who understands who seek after God. And what does he find? They've all turned aside. They've all become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. So David, we're not quite sure who he's talking about. I tend to think he wasn't talking about himself. He's obviously someone who did seek after God. So it can't this raises a question, who are we talking about here? Because God says it's everyone. And we look later in the next verse, um, after the Lord has surveyed everything, um, we see in the next verse, 
he comes back and says that um, although uh, the conclusion of God is that everyone is corrupt, verse 4 says, they have no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the name of the Lord. So who are we talking about? Are we talking about everyone? All the children of man? Are we just talking about this group of evildoers who there's a distinction being made. There's the evildoers and then there's God's people who they're consuming. So how do we, how do we interpret this? What, what, how do we make sense of it? This is where we let Scripture interpret itself. So if we look at Romans uh, chapter 3 and verse 9, what does Paul say? It says, what then? Are we any Jews better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. So Paul's quoting some Psalms that are very... Reminiscent of the one that we're reading here. There is no one who does good. And he is saying, it is everyone. So it's not just the evildoer. It's everyone. So as believers, we live in a post-Jesus-has-come-to-this-earth-for-the-first-time world. We look back, we see that the Messiah has come. And we need to read, acknowledging, read this passage and acknowledging that the evildoers is us. And everyone. And the only reason that we are any different is because of what Christ has done. So for those who are... Um, sorry, I lost my place here in my notes. Um, so as we, as we look at ourselves and, and, and admit and confess that we are the evildoers and we, are, we, we would be no different if it weren't for Christ, then we need to look at others um, uh, as... Help me out here. We need to look at others um, with grace, right, and compassion, because it's only because of Christ um, that we have changed. So if you are a Christian, you are one of God's people, as this passage puts it, and you most likely know someone who hasn't put their faith in Jesus, uh, and this doesn't have to be someone who is just a, a self-proclaimed atheist. Um, this is anyone who... A, who could possibly acknowledge God, but does not surrender to Christ. As a person who has said in their heart that the God of the Bible isn't real, because anyone who would truly believe that the God of the Bible is the one and true God, uh, you can't help but yourself. You can't help but to follow Christ when you submit to that truth. So we see in verse 5 and 6 that... Um, this is one of those, those times where it's talking about the, the immediate future of the time this was written and then the what is yet to come. We see they are in great terror in verse 5. For, the, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You, re referring to the evildoers, now we're talking in second person. You, evildoer, would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. So the evildoer stands in terror as they see God's favor upon his people. And um, like I mentioned before, this was during Babylonian captivity when God delivered them out of that captivity uh, and, and they went back into their, their land. It was very short time after that that Babylon fell by the hands of the Persians. So God brought about dread upon those who sought to consume and devour God's people and oppress them.
And we know from the rest of Scripture that there will be a day that comes when anyone who does not belong to Christ will be in terror as they are cast into darkness and separated from God. And this is why we cry out, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice and let Israel be glad. So this is, this is one of those times where we look at this passage and we rejoice at the fact that this has come true because God delivered this. He, he brought this about. This petition from David uh, was brought about uh, by God through the person and work of Christ. So it's the, it, it's the tendency of every human heart to go about life as if God doesn't exist. That's, that is our natural state. We, we want to be our own gods. Uh, so atheism is not just a belief that's, that is held by those who call themselves atheists. Um, we, live at practical, we live as practical atheists all the time. We reject the creator for the created things um, every day. It, it is a struggle even once we have been born again, even once we have received the new heart by the Holy Spirit that we continue to fight. That, the process, that is the process of sanctification is is putting our faith in the correct things and every day acknowledging that the God is, that God is, and he is the God of everything in every aspect of our lives. So any time that we are in sin, we're conducting ourselves as if there is a God who has said, or I'm sorry, as if there is not a God who has said, sin no more. Uh, when we're overwhelmed with the burdens of life and we're so stressed and we're anxious, and it just feels like we'll never, we just can't handle the things that have been put in front of us. What are we doing? Are we living as, are we saying that there is a God? Or are we living as if there is no God who has said, cast your burdens upon me and I will give you rest? Um, when we gossip, what are we doing? We're living as though there is no God who has said, that those who gossip are fools and evildoers and practice abomination. And by the way, I've mentioned this before, and I feel like this bears repeating. Um, gossip and slander aren't just things that happen in conversations about people that you know. Um, I mean, though, though, though that is definitely part of it, and that definitely happens all the time in churches. It tears churches apart, causes bitterness, causes division. Um, but what are the kinds of things that you tend to say, the conversations you tend to have about people that you don't know, maybe political leaders or maybe other, like, kind of your bigger-time church leaders or, or any public figure for that matter? Um, it's, it's one thing to point out a disagreement you have with someone, uh, but it's another thing to insult and condemn someone based off of, you know, whatever biased news source you get your news from. So, we live in a country where, constitutionally, we have free speech, and that's something that we, it gives us the right to meet here, and we can talk about this thing, the, what we're talking about today, we can preach the gospel, and as of right now, um, we're not afraid someone's going to come busting through the door and breaking this up, and that is something 
that we should be very thankful for and not take for granted. But while we do have a constitution that says we do have freedom of speech, um, we have a God who says that if you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourself and that your religion is worthless. Um, what we say is important and it matters. And what we say about people is important and it matters. Um, so don't be a fool when it comes to the way that you talk about others and what you say. So when we fail to show uh, another, another way here that we, we act as fools, when we fail to show hospitality, hospitality to others, we act as if there is no God who has commanded us to do so. We make all kinds of excuses to not be hospitable, you know, like whatever, whatever the excuse is. Maybe it's you don't, ha you don't have time. You know, life is so busy. Well, make time. Make time to do the things that God's commanded us to do. Or my house is messy. Who cares? You can still have people over. You can still cook a meal. Okay? Um, we shouldn't use excuses for anything, to, to not do anything that God has commanded us to do. Um, husbands, we definitely, uh, I, and I will say I'm the chief, um, we have a tendency to live as though there is no God who says, husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. And wives, I would say that you have the tendency as well to live as though there is no God who has said, submit to your husbands. And the list can go on and on. But we must do as Christ has said. Uh, we take the plank out of our own eye before we go pointing out the specks in others. So we need to see uh, ourselves and observe ourselves and be honest with ourselves and be humble enough to admit where we are fools, where we deny that there is a God um, because it's something that we so easily fall into even as Christians. However, we can call out foolish, foolishness when we see it. Um, and like I said earlier, there is, uh, when, when we don't, well, what I said earlier is that there, there, there is this, you have, you have the types that are so um, afraid and they're so timid to, to call out any other sin um, because, you know, well, who am I to judge? You know, I don't want to, um, but you can call sin, sin, because like I said, if, if we're not doing that, then how do we spread the gospel? How do we say repent of your sin if we're not telling you what the sin is? Um, so we can call out foolishness when we see it. We can call a fool a fool. Um, and you have to study your Bible. You have to read it, the whole thing, to understand what is foolish and what is wise, so that you can point those things out, not just in others, but in yourself as well. You know, if we look at the past year and a half um, and just what's, been, what's, what's gone on in the entire world, but particularly our, our country, because that's what we see the most of, um, it, it has definitely revealed just how foolish everyone can be. Um, and unfortunately, the temptation is to uh, view that because we live in a country where politics is God, um, it is hard to not view things through a political lens. Um, so we we make what is foolish and what is wise. We make a uh, we draw a political line there uh, in this country, and um, 
that is something that we have to fight. Because uh, we see the results of that play out every single day on the news and what kind of, what division that causes. Uh, and not just in, in society as a whole, but like just in the church. Um, Christians are divided over political issues. And um, we have to not look at them through political lenses. We need to look at them, the issues through biblical lenses and be humble and patient and compassionate enough to talk to one another and work towards a solution together as Christians. So look at the issues and don't look at the politica, political, politicalization of the issue. And remember to examine yourself before examining the actions of others. Because everyone, everybody, no one, no one, no one gets out of this. Uh, everyone's acted the fool at some point or another, and I would say especially in the last year and a half. half. So as we look at the corruption and the idolatry in the world around us, uh, it should motivate us to cry out just as the psalmist does in verse 7. Um, but we, we should do that with the knowledge that uh, what he was longing for and what he was petitioning for has already come. He cries out, Oh, that salvation would come. And we know that salvation has come. Uh, Christ has brought his kingdom to this earth. And that restoration for all creation has begun. So this, was, this, this, is, this is pretty short today, so you're welcome. Um, I'm gonna, we'll, we'll, we'll leave with, we'll, we'll, I'll end with this. I'm going to leave you with some questions, and I'm sure you'll end up talking about them in small groups this week. So we talked about the difference between the, the person who says and lives by there is no God. You know, the, the true atheist, God does not exist. Um, there are so many problems, just logical problems with that kind of thinking. Um, but the spiritual problems are much greater. So we, we, some of you may know that. I know, I know people who, that, uh, who, who, who claim that. Um, I've listened to plenty who have claimed that, and I've heard their arguments, and they're weak. Um, and then we also talked about the practical atheists, and that's something that we're all guilty of doing from time to time, living as if there is no God. We don't say it out loud. We just say it with our actions in the way that we live. Uh, and, I, and I listed some examples. And here's one from my life personally. Uh, so I'm a parent of young children, um, three, five, and ten. And um, it's funny how, like, for, for the parents, we talk about, like, the phases of life. Like, oh, they're just going through this phase. They're always going through a phase. There's always a phase. And they're, they're typically always hard as a parent. <laughs> um, but I live as if there is no God who has made the hearts of my children and who observes all of their deeds and who has said, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, talking about mine, and the hearts of your offspring. 
Uh, I tend to take the hearts of my children in my own hands um, because I desperately want them to know the love of Christ. And um, the, you know, one of the hardest things as a Christian parent to do is to acknowledge the fact that you're not the one ultimately in control of your kid's heart. And, um, and, and, and when you, especially when you see, you know, I see some, some people that I really, really look up to in, in just Christian leaders, pastors, authors, you know, that I look up to that um, it's, you look at them and go, how in the world could you have a child that doesn't believe? Um, but they're out there and it's heartbreaking. And I, we have to live, I have to live every day with that reality um, but it's something that I have to surrender on a daily basis and I fail to do. So that is one of the ways that as a parent you can live as a practical atheist because you're, you're, you're trying to be God. There is no God who can do this. I'm the one that has to do this. And if you're a parent who has done that and struggled that and acknowledges that you have done that and struggled that, you know how difficult that is, and how difficult it is to surrender your, your, your children's hearts to, to, to God. Um, if you're a worrier, uh, if you're a gossip, um, those, are, those are ways where you're, again, if you're worrying, you're, 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 you're living as though there is no God that has said, don't be anxious, because I'll take care of you. If you're a gossip, you're living as though there's a God who has said, don't do that. So what, are, what areas, for everyone in here, what areas in your life do you live as if there is no God? And don't remember, this takes some humility. This takes a willingness to go, to not just go, what do you mean? Of course there's a God. I believe in God. I put my faith in Christ. I'm not saying that you haven't. I'm just saying that there are areas where we struggle uh, to, to fully surrender and truly believe that there is a God who can take care of fill in the blank. And that is foolish. When you look at the world and you see just the, the blatant rejection of God and his law and, and just the outright hatred and, and, and animosity towards God and denial of him. What do you do for those who practice such things? What are your thoughts towards those who do that? Do you pray for those who are in rebellion? Or do you just judge and you criticize and have no compassion? Because... <laughs> Mr. T, what a great theologian, right? <laughs> the fool is someone who is to be pitied. The person who lives apart from God, who has said in their heart, there is no God, who has not put their faith in Christ Jesus, is a fool who is condemned and cannot save themselves. They, they cannot enter into the presence of God. They will not be led into the kingdom, and they will suffer for eternity. We have to look at those who do not know Christ with humility because we have to remember that it's only 
because of God's grace that we received salvation through Christ. And it's because of that grace that when God sees us, when he sees a believer, when he sees one of his children, he doesn't see the evildoer anymore. That's something that we should rejoice about. We're born in sin. We can't do anything on our own to get out of it. We cannot restore ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. But God has saved us and done what we're, we can't do. And we should rejoice. That should humble us and it should motivate us to love the fool because it's only because of Christ that we're any different. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son. What you require of us, um, what the law demands, is, is overwhelming. And um, we just thank you that you, you sent your son, the son of God, came out of heaven to live as we live, um, to experience all the things we experience here on this earth, to perfectly fulfill what you require on our behalf. And God, you are a just God who takes sin very seriously. And if it weren't for the atonement that Christ did for us, um, if it weren't, if, if you were to let sin go unpunished, you would not be just. And God, we look at the world and we see the sins of man and it can be just, it, 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 can, it can be beyond upsetting when we see the atrocities that happen around the world and in our country and just in our city and our families. Um, and we can cry out and we can say, why God, where is the justice? Why do you let these things happen? Are you just? But what Christ did on the cross shows that you are a just God and that sin does not go unpunished. And we thank you that just by simply putting our faith in Christ, by surrendering ourselves, denying ourselves, and following Christ, that we have, uh, we ha we have a acceptance into your kingdom. We're alienated, we're hostile toward you, but when Christ calls us and we receive your spirit, we're washed clean. And God, we cannot thank you and praise you enough for that. And I pray for each of us in this room, I pray that you would help us to examine our hearts, help us to see the ways that we live um, in a denial of you, the ways that we, the areas of our life where we say there is no God, and we try to be, um, we try to be our own gods, or we try to fill that God-sized hole, as some people say, with anything but you. So help us to see that, help us to repent, help us to be humble. And God, help us to not be timid and afraid 
to call what is foolish, foolish. Help us to be bold in calling sin, sin, so that we can spread the gospel and not be ashamed. And I pray for anyone here or listening that has not put their faith in Christ. God, I pray that your spirit would just be upon them, that the feeling that they possibly are feeling in their heart, God, that they would know clearly that is you calling them to put their faith in you, to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to follow Jesus. God, we thank you uh, again for everything, and we praise you for all that you do. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.